getting a diagnosis, it's a freeing, at least for me, it was very liberating feeling because I think there's a lot of shame associated with some of these conditions, especially things around mental health that, you know, oh, it's all my fault. This is a moral failure or, a you know, if I just worked harder, concentrated more or whatever, fill in the blank. This week on Mindful Headlines, a conversation with local author Amy Liz Harrison. Just this week, she released her book called Eternally Awkward. Do you feel like you're awkward? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, why? I think inside, I feel like a 14-year-old in a 46-year-old's body. I kind of still have a little bit of leftover angst from my teenage years. She reveals what it was like to be diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Attention deficit or hyperactivity disorder is usually diagnosed in childhood, and you might think of the kid who can't sit still in class, but that's not always true. Symptoms are different for adults, and it's not always obvious. Stress and other mental health conditions can cause similar symptoms, and something Amy has also dealt with as someone recovering from alcohol abuse, a mom of eight kids, and did I mention this is actually her third book she's written? So she shares why the ADHD diagnosis was key to unlocking her full mental health picture. Her book is funny, and if you grew up in the 80s, you'll really love all the pop culture references. There's a link in our show notes if you want to pick up or download the book. Amy, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today about your new book that is coming out soon, right? Yep. April 19th, it will be out. It's called Eternally Awkward. (laughs) I love the title. Uh, I did want to ask you, do you feel like you're awkward? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Why? I think inside, I feel like a 14-year-old in a 46-year-old's body. I kind of still have a little bit of leftover angst from my teenage years, and I still have a little bit of that oh, am I doing this okay? Am I showing up to the dance, you know, wearing something similar to everybody else or something different? And just over the years dealing with insecurities, I've learned to embrace it. So I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And I think so many of us feel the same way. Um, You talk a lot about your early years, your childhood and your adolescence and how you've reflected back on that to later be diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. And it's the focus of our podcast today. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, right? So in the book, you talk about one of the first moments where you had an anxiety attack. You probably didn't recognize it at the time, but now looking back, you've identified that as the very first time. Can you share that story? Absolutely. So we were learning CPR in the fourth grade and the Recessi Annie doll or the rubber dummy that you practice compressions on uh, was, was laid out. All the kids had gone and the entire class had gone up, done their practice. And then it was my turn. And I just walked up and I couldn't do it. I just froze. She smelled like alcohol and mothballs and it just freaked me out. I just, I was paralyzed and I didn't know what was happening. And so I couldn't do it. And I told them I couldn't do it. And everybody kind of laughed at me because I just was kind of standing there frozen. And so looking back on it now, of course, as an adult and having experienced other panic attacks along life's way. I could see that that's what it was. That was kind of the onset of anxiety for me. And really what it did was it was kind of the watershed moment, if you will, in terms of 
something that I now recognize as, oh, that's where I developed some real core beliefs about myself. What are some of those core beliefs? Yeah. So one is feeling defective, uh, just that there's something wrong with me. I didn't really get life's manual. Everybody else has a copy of the guidebook on how to do this, except for me. And uh, then basically this feeling of I'm feeling stupid or dumb. And I grew up in the Silicon Valley. And so I was around a lot of intelligent people and a lot of kids who are in the gifted and talented educational program. And so I sort of developed this sense of "Mm, I'm a little less than everybody else. I mean, so that would be another one. A third one would be the kind of insufficient self-control that I had or thought I had perceived to be as such. And really what I mean by that is, I mean, I was looked at in that moment of fourth grade CPR class as kind of a disobedient kid, kind of like, why aren't you just doing what everybody else is doing? Just do it. And so I sort of wore that name tag for a long period of time until I started to realize through therapy and through help and uh, that that was just something that was kind of what I, it was a, it was actually an illusion. It wasn't necessarily true, but these feelings feel really real when you're caught in this cycle of fear. And that's what I was really caught in for all those years. And as a result, I didn't want to try anything because I was afraid that I would fail. I carried that well into adulthood in some ways. And so I think it's pretty significant. I think I I know I'm not alone in thinking these things or having these experiences, uh, but they, they are pretty shattering when you're young and then you sort of go, okay, this is who I am. And then I kind of fell into that role that I had in my head. I think for me now, um, you know, having gone through substance use disorder and alcohol is, I call it alcoholism, but substance use disorder for some, um, you know, I really learned to unpack a lot of my old tapes and get to the bottom and the root of really what was going on inside of me and what I had gone through in my past. I was going to ask you, when did you start to unravel some of those core beliefs. In your book, you say it was a relief to be diagnosed with ADHD, but now I'm hearing you say, and I know you wrote a previous book about your um, addiction to alcohol. And so when did you start to unravel that? Was that in the recovery phase for you? Yeah, it was in the recovery phase. Uh, Prior to that, my psychiatrist had suggested that I get tested for ADHD. He saw it, of course, way before I did. And I was fully convinced my only problem was everybody else on the planet at that point in time. And I also had some untreated postpartum depression. I didn't want to take antidepressants. I ended up doing that. And that was very, uh, that was significant because for me, it was the first step in asking for some help. And so when I was diagnosed with ADHD, that was after my battle with alcoholism And it was amazing how getting a diagnosis for whatever is just, it's a freeing, at least for me, it was very liberating feeling. Um, And I felt suddenly like, oh, this isn't all my fault because I think there's a lot of shame associated with some of these conditions, especially things around mental health that, you know, oh, it's all my fault. This is a moral failure or a, 
you know, if I just worked harder, concentrated more or whatever, fill in the blank, I can sort of blend in with everybody else. And so that just was not true in my case, in the sense of if I was getting help and assistance with that, I was in a much better position. And then it was kind of neat because it was a cycle. And so when I treated the ADHD, it helped with the depression because I knew what I was dealing with. And so I started to feel better as I gained tools. You hit the nail on the head saying that often we feel shame. It's something that I've covered a lot on this podcast with various guests who have gone through various types of struggles, but it's this idea that we feel shame to talk about certain topics within our society. And you mentioned postpartum depression. I have to share with our listeners that you have eight kids. That's a yes. lot of children uh, to take care of. And you, so you, I'm sure you have a lot on your plate, um, but postpartum is specifically something that a lot of women really struggle with and struggle to talk about, right? Yes, absolutely. And although we've come farther, uh, I think we're not quite there in totally breaking the stigma. That's my opinion, obviously, in my experience. But yes, I think uh, for me personally, postpartum, uh, that was the first time where I really felt like I can't get out of this. Like I felt like I was standing outside of myself, watching myself be depressed and go through the motions of things. And I couldn't bridge that gap back to who I felt like my old self was, where I felt normal-ish and a little more uh, just happy, just joyful. I, I, I just couldn't get there. I wanted to, but I didn't have the strength to figure it out. And I think that that is a big, big deal too, is that apathetic kind of attitude where it's like, I can't, I wish that I could, but I can't. Once I got help with the postpartum as well, I mean, all of these things that I have you know, gone through about self-awareness and mental health, uh, the acceptance of the idea that I had mental health issues, all it did was empower me, which was a fantastic gift. Speaking of that, you're writing about some really difficult and very personal moments in your books. A lot of people deal with mental health issues, but it's not something that they openly share as we've talked about. So what gave you the courage to go ahead and write these books, the first and the second one? I think it was the feeling that I couldn't be the only one. And I knew that I wasn't, but I wanted to help in the sort of I'll use the word crusade, but that's only because I can't think of anything else. But the whole idea of let's all just kind of say that maybe we don't have everything figured out, or maybe we don't have all the answers for everything, or maybe we don't always feel great and that that's okay. And I think um, in, at least in what I've experienced, there's still this temptation to put on sort of a front that's kind of like, oh no, everything's okay. Everything's fine. And I do this and I've got this side hustle and I'm so confident. And, um, you know, when I had little kids in a a nearby uh, neighborhood, it, it was tough in terms of everybody else had just come off of these amazing careers and they were staying at home and they turned into these incredible mothers who were 
you know, these ninjas when it came to registering their kids for soccer practice and making sure they had all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. And I remember just feeling totally separate from that. Like, man, I can't get my act together. I can barely get a shower, you know, and these ladies have it dialed in. You know, that that was just a, of course, it was a glimpse. It was something that I had imagined. I didn't see behind the scenes on that. I I didn't know that no, that that maybe isn't true. Who that person is presenting themselves to be is is probably still sad sometimes, probably goes through things sometimes, maybe has problems in their marriage, whatever. And I just didn't know or didn't allow myself to believe it. Comparison can be a really hard thing, but it can also be a really empowering thing as you're talking about, because probably the comparison with the other moms, like you mentioned, was difficult for you. But in turn, now you've written a book where people can compare themselves to your life and say, oh, I'm feeling the same way. I'm feeling that as well. Or I've gone through that experience too. Um, Was the writing process something that helped you heal from um, depression and from alcoholism, all of that, and from ADHD and really kind of unpack what it meant to be diagnosed with ADHD, the writing process itself? Absolutely. It, It definitely helped. And I think also it's just validating to see something on paper that you know, several people have then read, my editor and um, whoever else publicist, it's sort of like, oh, so this is true and this is real and it all happened and it is, it, here it is. <laughs> and I wanted the chance to tell it in my own voice so that if there are others out there struggling with it, and I know we have tons of books and resources these days to uh, aid in this process, but I just wanted to recover out loud so that people who are suffering in silence know that they're not alone. I know when I was going through substance use disorder or alcoholism, I read a ton of books before I admitted, I mean, I was still in denial at that point, but it just kind of helped to know somebody else had been there and somebody else, you know, had the courage to be real and authentic about their experience. Eternally Awkward that's coming out now in April is about your diagnosis specifically of ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and how that might be different um, than being diagnosed as a child. Yeah. Uh, I think that it made a lot of puzzle pieces fall into place that had felt previously pretty scattered in my brain. And also, uh, it's my understanding from my psychiatrist that it uh, has some genetic uh, lines. And so it's been very helpful for my kids because then I know what signs to look for and have been able to get them help as they needed help. And, and that feels really good as a mom to know that you know, you're able to assist your kid in feeling confident because that's just what I really didn't have going through school was that sense of, I can do this. And also I think it narrows the playing field so that kids don't feel like they're the only ones. I mean, back in the day in the eighties, when, uh, you know, I was in school, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of outside help available at that point in time in the educational system, at least where I went to school. So I think it's really Uh, fantastic that neurodiversity is so well uh, accepted now. 
Yeah, I agree with that as well. I was reading the book and I was thinking, oh, there's a lot of comparisons to when I was in elementary school as well in California and some of the crossover there. And I remember that CPR dummy (laughs) and I remember the Aquanet, which I think they still sell in some places. Um, I do want to ask you um, about resources and maybe things that you can suggest for either adults who are listening to this podcast who have also been diagnosed with ADHD, but also um, adults who are seeking resources for their children? Well, absolutely. I actually just got a book that I've been powering through and it's, um, and I can email you this to get the exact title right, but it's about your brain is not broken is this as the idea of this book. And, and really what it is, is it helps Um, aid in the idea of self-acceptance of like, my brain just works a little bit differently than maybe the person next to me and that that's okay. There is nothing wrong with that. And I have so many options, you know, whether it's medication, whether it's uh, different kind of calendaring systems, whether it's accountability, whether it's whatever, uh, there are so many choices nowadays. And for my kids, for, for me, Uh, It's been my older children who have had relationships with the psychiatrist where they've been able to unpack that. And I think that um, the big deal for me has been trying to normalize going to therapy so that it doesn't feel like something's wrong with me. I have to go to therapy. And I think that we have definitely scratched the surface of that in 2022, which is amazing and wonderful. But I just want my kids to feel like that is part of their complete health package, right? Going to the physical doctor and also going to get their mental health check-ins. And the more that I encourage that whole person in my kids, um, the more I personally feel like I am trying to do them a service that will help them through their journey. Um, That's my hope anyway. You mentioned therapy. Is there anything else that you do as a mindfulness practice on a regular basis? I do meditation. I do uh, 30 minutes a day, usually, sometimes not <laughs> so great at it. Okay. Um, but, you know, the thing that I want to say about the meditation is that uh, I think in my life, I've waited so many times to have this perfect, you know, setup and meditation cushion and it has to be quiet. And, and that's just not my life anyway. <laughs> so for me, it's more about quieting my mind. And being able to do that even in a busy space or on an airplane or in a line somewhere and being able to introduce my kids to meditations geared towards children. I do. um, I found some great meditations for them on Insight Timer. And I know there are a lot of um, additional meditative ideas for children, Um, walking meditations as well. I have a labyrinth. that we do sometimes and just kind of introducing them to different ideas of what's going to work for them. Anything else I haven't asked? You know, the only thing that I, I always try and um, drive home if given the opportunity, and this is kind of rewinding for a second to feeling alone is that it's super important to me that moms in particular, but not just moms, anybody who feels like they might be the only ones experiencing whatever it is. Sometimes looking at people now who may be perceived to be on the other side of something, or it may look like it's easy, 
you know, to navigate some of these mental health challenges now. That's only because, you know, I had the um, experience and privilege of being able to be introduced to tools and have access to therapy. And I went to rehab twice, you know, 11 years ago when I got sober. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to picture that, no, 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 like make no mistake. I was that person. I was wandering around in my bathrobe, didn't know if it was 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Like I was in a bad place and that that is okay. It feels scary and terrible, but it is a, at least for me, it was my soul telling me this is, it's time. It's time to get help. I would never take all that, everything that I went through and trade it for anything else because of the peace of mind that I'm able to cultivate today. It doesn't mean I have a perfect life and every day is woo. It's not, but that's real. It's, it's real to have ups and downs. And I just would like to normalize that as much as possible is that I felt like, you know, gosh, if we could do a better job in just letting kids and others know that, yeah, we have some days there, you know, we feel super confident. We feel on top of the world and other days we feel down in the dumps and that that's normal. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about that. I think in the last few years with the pandemic, um, especially because it took such a mental health toll on so many people, but this idea that we're constantly like putting out our best photos on Instagram with no flaws. Right. And we have a lot of children kind of growing up in this time where it seems like everyone's lives are perfect, but the reality is, is everyone has ups and downs and difficulties mm-hmm. and challenges along the way. Right. Right. And comparison, as you mentioned earlier, a comparison for me was the thief of joy. And so once I was able to talk myself through, you know, with a little cognitive behavioral therapy, a little rational emotive therapy, okay, Amy, those people may look happy, but you're getting a glimpse. That's not the full picture. Amy, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, that was Amy Liz Harrison, author of Eternally Awkward. There are several links to buy the book and other mental health resources in our show notes. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to Mindful Headlines. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. I'll see you next time.